This is Not Worth Living, a podcast that features creatives interviewing themselves with a preset list of questions. Unlike other podcasts that feel like conversation between friends, this one aims to feel like eavesdropping on a psychiatrist's visit. Today's episode features... All right, so this is OFCRE, recording for Not Worth Living podcast. I have got the uh, list of questions that Ira sent over to make it sound like you are giving yourself a therapy session. So, you know, I decided to get as comfortable as possible, lay back, listen to a couple of episodes of Not Worth Living, just to get an idea of how other people were answering some of these questions. Because, you know, when I opened up this document and the first one was, what makes you tick? I was like, come on, man. What kind of answer are you expecting? Know thyself is a very tall order to open up a podcast with. And I don't know if I'll be able to condense it into a short enough answer for it to be even entertaining for listeners. What makes you take is a very difficult question to ask. Um, and it's a vulnerable one, too. As much as you may want this to sound like it's a therapy session that the listener is overhearing, it's difficult for me to even answer that for a therapist because... What makes you tick is a complicated and layered question because it depends on the situation as well. What makes me tick in any given situation depends a lot on past experiences, context of the situation itself, um, what kind of mood I'm in, to be fair. Um, I think that we all have goals, dreams, ambitions that we use as motivation to literally tick along, but... What makes you tick? I think a couple of people put this in a writing context, and they said, what makes you tick in terms of your writing? And I mean, for that, it's always, for me personally, an interest in telling a story and getting someone invested in it um, as an art form in itself, you know? The desire to express, but also to contain people's thought process within the period of time that I'm telling that story to keep people's attention is my main goal when I'm writing. But what makes you tick? Man, I'm supposed to answer that just in general. Am I supposed to give you a one-word answer for that? Food. Would you open an envelope with your death date? So I thought about this before I hit record, and I decided ultimately no. But... I am intrigued by the idea of this being an option. And I think if if I was presented with the opportunity to have that envelope prepared for me, I would say yes, but I would not open it. Because I like the idea of having access to that knowledge, but I would not access it myself. I don't remember who pointed out that this was a question about predeterminationism. I don't know if that's a word, but somebody said that it was about faith. Sorry. Somebody said it was about fate. I think it might have been Charlie Nelsby. Or it might have been Joe Balecki. But somebody points it out that the question, would you open an envelope with your death date, presupposes that fate exists and that you can't avoid it. And I was thinking, if this was a scenario 
where a doctor told me you have X amount of days to live. I would want to know that because I would want to try to defy that. But in an instance where I was given undeniable proof that this was going to be the last day, I would not want that because I already want to spend my time enjoying myself and I don't want any of that to be soured with a sense of diminished return I suppose or a countdown and I don't like the idea of fate and I don't like the idea of I just suppose fate. What was the first time you remember creating something intentionally? And of course, other people have pointed out with this question that, you know, this usually goes back to childhood. First time I remember creating something intentionally was I think my parents bought me a couple uh, bound cloth books that were empty, just blank books. And I drew in them and I wrote in them. And I remember wanting to tell a coherent story um but I just had like a bunch of ideas that I filled in and I left a bunch of space in between them and I was like I'm gonna connect all of these one day and I never did but that was something that I remember creating very intentionally um and I remember my parents were very proud of me growing up because I did write a book about my hamster I guess that's the kind of thing that your parents would be proud of you for what keeps you motivated? What keeps me motivated is kind of like what makes you tick. Actually, what is the difference between those two things? I suppose tick is not always about motivation. Tick can literally be like what allows you to sleep at night. What is the quality that your mind runs on? The grease, the pattern of your cogs. Whereas what makes you motivated is much more external. It's less how do you work and more what drives you. So what motivates you? What motivates me? Interest, curiosity. I'm hesitating to say desire because I'm not sure how much that is related to curiosity. I think they might be the same thing in this instance, when it comes to motivation. But what keeps you motivated? What keeps you motivated? What sustains you? I mean, I want to do this. I want to write. You know, I've heard a couple of other people point this out. In a very, like, at the bottom of it all, at the base of it, this, oh, hold on, having problems with words, is self-reflection and self-articulation is important for me as a means of proceeding to the next step, which makes it sound as if the process is the motivation in of itself. But 
a little bit of it goes back to the first question, you know, the know thyself question, in that I am curious to diagnose myself and the patterns that I fall into over and over again. Curious to see what I can get outside of that one day. But I also find it inherently interesting, not just in myself. I do find the way that other people think to be equally fascinating. I like seeing the patterns that fall into place in other people's writing. And I also, you know, as a reader, enjoy a good turn of phrase, an interesting way of working something out. And it's it's good mental exercise, but what motivates me to do that? And I think that, like, it's difficult to explain why I find it important to live a self-examined life. I know that that sounds pretentious. Sorry, guys. But it seems to me that not doing that is more suppression than the act of staying motivated to continue to explore and create is a sense of effort. Did that make sense? What I'm saying is that it seems like more effort to me to not ask questions and explore and to stay curious than it is to be curious. And I know that people always talk about, you know, the access to materials, and that is difficult. You know, there is there is gatekeeping, <laughs> but there are still avenues around the gatekeeping, or at least, you know, the gates don't care if you ask questions of yourself. Who inspires you at the moment? At the moment, I've been reading a bunch of old books, which is not unusual for me. But um, I have actually been reading like a bunch of English classic books, which is unusual for me. I used to prefer like the French romantics, but I've been getting from the French decadence into the English decadence into English classical novels. Um, which, again, like when I was a kid, I used to think that the English romantics were actually more boring than the French romantics. You know, I mean, like, yeah, they did cool stuff at parties, but the French romantics were actually burning buildings down. Personally, that was my personal opinion. And uh, recently I've been getting into like literally only 40 to 30 years after them. I know one of these days I'm going to get around to the 21st, 20th century, I promise. And to be fair, it's not exactly as if I'm dismissing everybody who's written a book in the past 10 years for, I don't know, somehow being beneath the greats. I've just been enjoying it. I've just been, and I have been really inspired by the fact that the older novels didn't have any of the templates that we do now. People talk, I don't actually hate tropes and genres as much as some people do, but I do tend to feel like they can kind of cannibalize on themselves a little bit too much. They can be too self-referential. Whereas when you look at some of the foundations of those genres and, you know, I've been getting really into how much 
very specifically the French decadence kind of invented the concept of fantasy. Um, you can see where the where the fascination started, where those building blocks got laid, and how they turned into what we have. You know, people often talk about J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis as basically inventing the fantasy genre as we know it today, which is true. But finding like even earlier echoes in um, like Lord Alfred Tennyson and the um, pre-Raphaelite movement has been more interesting to me because I was told that J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis invented this genre and to realize that it was going on almost 100 years before them that has been really interesting to me and also once again seeing these roots in even earlier work but even that is like even farther removed and just like taking away the foundation in order to try to rebuild it and like on a timeline has been really exciting for me i don't know if everybody else thinks this is boring as dirt but i thought it was like watching it get built in action has been really exciting sorry guys and speaking of which uh my latest project has been inspired by all of my reading and i'm basically like the project that i'm working on right now is this big fantasy book uh which is probably just going to be like a big fantasy book but what the direct inspiration was was all of the reading that i have been doing for the past couple of years in these ancient fucking classical tombs tomes sorry um and the bedrock foundation of fantasy and trying to see if i can do the tweaking from inside the foundations as opposed to all of these deconstructions of tropes that i have been seeing where once again it seems to be more like just the self-referential cannibalism i wanted to get a little farther away from that and see what else can be done with the bare bones material that uh got founded i mean like i'm talking about a book full of wizards but i'm having a great time all right and that is what matters okay what's the next question if money was no object what would be your dream project so i also wanted to talk about joe and joe the two joes Vileki and koch and sam both mentioned how they wanted to it, the project that they would want to put it into would be a communal space where people could live and work and perform and display their art which does sound beautiful but for me that doesn't seem so much as a project or art for me that would be more like divine retribution because like i have known so many people who tried or who had spaces that could have either become, well, okay, could not have become a platonic ideal of this sort of thing, but I knew people who had art spaces, and I knew people who had homes and who worked out of their homes, who, you know, that had that taken away from them. Places that were supposed to be safe. You know, there's a community center on Avenue C that used to be called Chadas. It doesn't exist anymore. It was bought by a developer named Greg Singer back in the 80s. But people still talk about it because it was a community center where people could, you know, there were adult educational classes, there were art classes, there were all of these things that 
and it was it's this huge old school building that was supposed to be a nonprofit for people in the community. And then one day the city just put it up on the auction block and now it's gone. And the only thing that we've been able to do is fight the developer who keeps wanting to turn it into fucking housing for NYU. And this is just one of the examples, of all of these spaces that I've seen that deserve to have belonged to artists and people and just the public in general, you know. There's this there was this space called Club A that we knew was going to be temporary, but it was this huge, beautiful old building that we were basically like a bunch of not me, but some friends were turning into a party spot and did they did they did charity works out of it. They did so many things out of it. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a nail salon now. And I think the rest of the building isn't even being used. And there's just so many places that I know about that I used to go to or and just like so many projects that people tried to build that just got wiped clean by money. Like money was used as a tornado to destroy so many things that could have been that were so good and could have been so much more at least continued what it was doing what it was doing was already good that being able to have something like that is not for me a project or it's or I mean I guess it is a goal but it's like something much bigger than that being able to return what is by rights belonging to people who deserve it better is not just like an art project for me. Um, so instead, what I would do if money was no object and I could just have a fun little project for myself is I would really like to have an immersive exhibition. Um, and I would really love to, like, immersive exhibitions are kind of, are kind of cool right now, I guess. But I do really like the idea of, like, being able to give money to as many different artists as possible, people who could write a script for people to interact with or at least like organize a cohesive theme that a project could be built around costume designers, choreographers, performers, dancers, musicians, visual artists to help work with the architecture, like something like that where I could actually bring a bunch of people together and give them all the money that they need to make something great would be really, that's a goal for me someday, maybe. Food, want to be able to feed people, you know. And oh, I had one more thing that I wanted to add on to this giant project that I would love to do. I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking, guys. Hold on. I did something and I fucked up and I accidentally made a two-parter. Uh, sorry about that, Ira. I guess I'm gonna have to end that project, right, that that question right there. If money was no object, I would really want to do some kind of immersive theater project where people could come in and like experience uh, an event, you know. Oh, what I wanted to add was like, you know, I, I mentioned how I really like the idea of being so absorbed in an art piece that you're basically living in it. And I also love the idea that is offered up in immersive theater where you get to like explore and run around. I, I don't know. I guess I'm a very physical person. I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, is there a quote or a motto that you work by? I used to say um, this, I used to use this quote, and I don't remember what the Latin is, um, but it was from Sherlock Holmes, and it was, the man is nothing, the work is everything. 
I don't think I'm going to keep using that anymore because I've just been thinking about it a lot and I don't know if I fully agree with it. Um, but I guess I'm in, I guess I am in the market for a new motto to live by. And I will let, keep you guys updated if I have a replacement for that. What's the next quote? Would you be friends with yourself? I thought about this one a lot as well. And what I remembered was this one time I got really fucking high. I got too high and I started to get the fear. And I was like, it's bedtime because I have the fear. And so I went to bed and I'm in bed and I still have the fear, but I'm in bed with my eyes closed now. And so basically like my brain is just a rotating kaleidoscope of everything wrong I've ever done. And I'm telling myself, hey man, hey, you're, you're too high. You know, this is not actually good logic and like you're not actually getting clarity. You're just really fucking high. None of this is true and you're all good. And I had, you know, as I was going through all of my insecurities and I was blaming myself for everything I've ever done, I'm like, hey, man, you know, I don't really think that you would hate all of this if it was in somebody else. I think that you'd be fine with it. I think it would all be cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm way too hard on myself. So I know that, like, I think it might have been Freud who said this, where he, he was like, you know, you would hate yourself because you would meet yourself and you would see everything in yourself that you hate. Or like, you know, one of the reasons why you hate people that you meet is because you guys are too similar. But I'm trying to be nicer to myself and I'm trying not to see. I mean, honestly, like, I think that most people, even if they are annoying, are not that bad. Like, annoying isn't really the worst thing in the world. Got a guy at my job who's annoying as fuck. I just don't want him to talk to me. I don't hate him that much, you know? So yeah, I'd like to be friends with myself if I met myself. What do you do differently from other people? This is another excellent question and another one that's very difficult to answer, Ira. Um, how am I supposed to know that? I mean, I know that I do do things differently from other people. Everybody does, you know. Um, my boss has been annoying me because, like, he thinks that this one thing that I do at work is, like, the cause of all of the errors we've ever received. And he just wants me to do this one task exactly the way he does. So now I have to do it exactly the way he does. And, like the difference in the way that we do things is so minuscule. Like I have to print batches of orders and he doesn't want me to generate them while they're printing. I, he wants me to wait until a batch is fully printed and then generate the batch. I know it's, it's riveting. This is riveting stuff. But that's one thing I do differently from other people. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I mean, I write more than a lot of people I know, but not everybody that I know. I know a lot of people who write more than I do. The fuck am I supposed to say about this, Ira? Huh? I can't believe you've asked this. All right, cut that. I don't, I don't, I don't mean it. I'm sorry, man. Okay. What's the final question? What would you like your epitaph to say? I don't know. But that is a good question. I mean, I guess something that I should be asking. The epitaph. 
Um, who is that actor? I think it was Jack Lemmon. Or is that a 30 Rock character? There was this 1950s comedian who wrote, obviously his, his real name was not Jack Lemmon. Uh, he put his real name on the, uh, on the headstone. And then he put presents, or no, he put in underneath it like it was, uh, like it was a movie credit. That's pretty funny, right? Um, I think I was listening to a couple of other people talking about what they would like their, their grave to look like. And in terms of like an epitaph, I can't really think of one, but I do know that whatever I get, I want it to be safe for the goths to take pictures on. I want it to, you know, have something cool on it for people to take pictures of. And I also want it to have a decent enough platform for spooky goth kids to get on it and take some good photos. That's my goal. I guess that's my intent. It's that I want a comfortable resting place for living spooky teenagers to take their pictures on. And you guys better look your best when you do take your pictures with my tomb. And that's the epitaph.